Good afternoon, ladies and gents. It is Friday, October 7th, 2022. This is Blues Views with some uh, market commentary. Uh, so big news of the day, obviously, was that uh, the, the U.S. labor market just uh, keeps on chugging along. The non-farm payrolls data that came out today suggests that uh, the job market remains relatively relatively robust. Um, it is slowing. You know, we see a lot of the, you know, this government data, there's a lot of uh, statistical shenanigans that go on with all the government data. You know, it's based on models and there's there's statistical adjustments and seasonal adjustments and all this stuff. So I, I always take the non-farm payrolls data with a grain of salt, especially in a time like this where you've got um, a progression from a, you know, a booming economy like we had last year to, uh, you know, recessionary conditions, especially uh, stagflationary recessionary conditions. Um, you tend to see a lot of revisions as the months go by. I would not be surprised to see the last few months data revised lower as we move forward here throughout the balance of the year. Um, you know, the I think the October data, let me just check the exact number, it doesn't really matter, but that uh, was plus 263K, um, which is a good, very healthy number for this environment. Uh, this is a very unusual situation with, um, you know, so many, uh, so many nations outside the U.S. in fiscal distress. Um, and, you know, you are beginning to see, we, we've begun to see layoffs um, at multinationals. So, and I think that's actually, as a, as a corollary to that, I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen the Russell 2000 uh, hang in there pretty well. Um, usually when you're heading into a recession, small caps get slaughtered. Uh, and, you know, people fly, they flee to, to blue caps, to flight to quality, <laughs> blue caps, I meant blue chips, excuse me. Um, but I think there's, there's a thesis here, and this, is, and this is one of the pair trades we have on, where long, uh, small, and, and mid caps, uh, and short, large cap growth. Um, you know, you've got a lot of problems outside the U.S. We've got problems in the U.S. too. We've got much bigger problems outside the U.S. Multinational U.S. corporations are probably going to feel more pain uh, at least up front, than a lot of smaller companies in the U.S. that don't have a lot of operations outside the country. So I think that's one of the things that's probably going on there. But um, the labor market, at least as far as the official data shows, remains uh, remains strong. Uh, and this is, of course, very bad news for the bulls who have been desperately looking for a pivot all year. Uh, they've priced in a pivot <laughs> twice already. Uh, you know, well, they did it once in July and August, and then did it again. Um, actually, they did it. It had actually just been the one time. It was July and August. Um, but they, you know, running in, into that CPI number in early September, it looked like we were maybe heading to new all-time highs or something. And, um, and of course, that got nipped in the bud very quickly. Um, but, you know, just the last, this week, the first week of October, uh, we had, you know, a huge run up in the first two days of the month. And, and again, you're hearing, you know, talk of the pivots coming, the pivots coming. Um, it seems pretty clear that, you know, as long as the job market remains reasonably strong uh, and as long as CPI remains in, you know, above, let's just say five, six percent, the Fed is going to continue to lower the boom. Uh, and the reaction in stocks today is reflecting that. So, you know, we've got the NASDAQ down 3%. Uh, we had a big drop in yields earlier in the week. On Monday, that's really what triggered the big rally. Uh, yields have moved right back up to two years now at 4.3%. The five-year, 4.1%. Ten-year is approaching 4% once again. I think we're 
probably in the final stages of these moves higher in yields. Um, the curve is obviously inverted. It's probably going to stay inverted for a while. Uh, I think we probably have one last leg higher in the short end of the curve in terms of yields. Um, and then that'll probably be it. I, I you know, we remain short to your futures. That's been a good trade for us. As Mike Hartman at B of A last week made the call, be short twos and spoos until Halloween. I think that's spot on. Obviously, the first two, two days of this week uh, were a bit painful <laughs> for those those of us that were short stocks and and uh, short two years. But most of that has now been reversed. Um, and like the bulls need, they're in a situation where, you know, they, they desperately need a number to come out that suggests that the economy is falling apart. And the economy is just not cooperating. Um, we are very much in a good news is bad news situation. Uh, or conversely, you know, a bad news is good news situation. It's extremely perverse. It's pathetic. But this is, we all know that this is what the stock market has become. It's become all about how much welfare the Fed is going to, you know, uh, spread throughout the market. Once the punch bowl is taken away, the spigots get turned off and the Fed gets stingy, markets, all of a sudden price discovery starts to kick in and people are shocked to see these big markdowns. And they shouldn't be. Um, we are trading, you know, we were trading way above historical averages in terms of forward valuation. Yes, it made some sense because yields were so low, but you know, anyone who is familiar with the bond market knew that you know this was all the Fed putting their thumb on the scale. At some point, the jig was going to be up, and inflation was always going to be the thing that triggered it. And once that the move in yields, once that once that bond rally, that 40-year bond market rally ended and started to reverse lower. We were going to get to see some nasty um, re-ratings is the term the analysts like to use. Uh, that just refers to, you know, big markdowns in terms of the, the multiples that a lot of stocks get. I think before all is said and done, you are going to see stocks like Google and, and Microsoft and, and, and Apple um, trading with high single digit forward PEs. I really do. It's not that they're not worth a higher multiple. They are. But analysts never model recessions ever they never do it there you know remember something like 87 percent of the stocks that that sell side analysts cover are buy rated okay it is a complete joke uh the whole thing is rigged okay uh they never model recessions they they rarely downgrade stocks to sell especially their pet stocks I spent a couple of years on the sell side. All, all it does is piss off your, your long only clients when you downgrade a stock. So the incentives are all out of whack. Okay. But remember that for the most part, the market does trade off of the consensus estimates based on what the analysts are modeling. So the whole thing is completely out of whack. Analysts do not model recessions. They drag their feet in terms of cutting their estimates. Uh, and really, we really only are a few months into that process of cutting estimates, and I think we still have a ways to go. I think that, I think we're going to be hard pressed to do $200 in S&P earnings next year. That is definitely not a consensus opinion. You know, I think the estimates were like for 230 or something earlier in the year. I think we're going to have a hard time hitting 200. I really do. As I've said many times, Fed rate hikes they take 12 to 24 months to fully kick in. You know. Uh, the Fed only controls the overnight rate. Okay, so the market the market started repricing yields last year, and we're only beginning to feel some of that pinch now, uh, 12 months later. Uh, actually, 
more like 18 months later. Um, so, you know, these changes and, and the rate of change has been so dramatic. Remember, you look at something like the MOVE index, which is like the VIX for treasuries. It is so elevated. And, and, and that's more about pace than direction. We've all seen the market rally alongside the VIX. And it doesn't happen often, <clears throat> but it's a good reminder that volatility is more about rate of change than it is about direction of change. Yes, higher volatility usually comes from, uh, usually occurs in, in down markets. But the reason for that is because of how, uh, you know, the imbalance between buyers and sellers. There are far, far, far more people buying and holding than there are selling and shorting. So that's why you see that. But again, you know, make, that's an important distinction to keep in mind. Volatility, so the VIX, the move, the move index, the VXTLT, whatever you want to look at. These are more about pace and rate of change than they are about direction. Good, good thing to keep in mind. Um, so where do we go from here? Obviously, we are, we're still, uh, I wouldn't say we're well above the September lows. You know, the S&P is trading 36.76. We're about 90 points above the lows. So that's, you know, just under 3%. So there's still uh, a decent buffer there. Uh, and the question I'm sure a lot of bulls are asking themselves today is, uh, do we do we set new lows? You know, I, my opinion all year has been that 3,400 was probably going to happen on the S&P. Um, I still think at that 40 that 3,400 at a bare minimum is going to happen. So my answer is yes. I think new lows are coming. We still have not seen any real capitulation, any real panic. The VIX, the VIX is only up two and a, two and a third percent today on a day like today when the S&P is down two percent. Now. Uh, one other thing I should mention, and I've tweeted about this, uh, a lot of people have been trying to figure out all year why the VIX has been so moribund, right? And why why VVIX, the vol of vol, has been so sleepy as well. The prevailing theory out there now is that a lot of institutions have chosen to use futures rather than options to hedge their portfolios. And that is one that would explain it, at least some of it. So that may be part of what's going on there. But I my guess is that before all is said and done, we still need to see the VIX get north of 40, perhaps even 50, before we can really start to talk about a bottom. Uh, there are simply two, you know, sentiment, all the sentiment indicators are hyper bearish. Everyone's bearish, but a lot of people still aren't selling. And that's been the case all year. Yep, you're bearish, but I'm holding on. Everyone's afraid to sell because they think, you know, well, what if the market bounces right after I dump? They're all, they're, the FOMO, you know, FOMO works both ways. It works in an up market and in the down market. You know, these, a lot of these people are just hemorrhaging equity all year, but they're afraid to sell because they're convinced that, you know, the Fed's going to come, come to the rescue. We're going to bounce any day now. So, the, you know, it's, this is now a dynamic. And the interesting part, uh, the most interesting part of this, as far as I'm concerned, is that this perverse psychology that the Fed has created is actually one of the things that's allowing them to be super hawkish. Because there are so many people who, you know, over the course of the last 15 years, you had a lot of perma bears out there. You had a lot of people who weren't perma bears who were just concerned about what was going on with, you know, quantitative easing and this can't last and inflation's coming and all that stuff. But for 14 years, you know, the newer generation of investors were always hearing dire warnings from the bears and none of them ever materialized. And so those investors began to not only categorically dismiss the warnings, but began to really kind of, you know, uh, act in spite of them, you know, to mock them, to troll them. 
it became, you know, very uncool to be concerned about <laughs> the long-term impact of all this money printing. Um, and now you have a situation where, you know, just in the late last year, you know, there were a whole bunch of us saying, hey, things are going to get nasty next year. And then we were just categorically dismissed. You know, ah, you guys have been saying this forever. Just keep buying the dip, buying the dip, buying the dip. You know, and you had uh, this whole group of people, again, who, you know, for, for years just say, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. But they only mean it in bull markets. You know, they've been fighting the Fed all year um, and making excuses for it. So this propensity to ignore logical bearish theses and buy the dip regardless and refuse to sell for fear of missing out on the next bounce has created it has created an extraordinarily orderly bear market with with relatively low volatility measured moves we haven't had any cascade limit down days which is incredible when you think about it that that perverse mentality hasn't it, it, we keep bouncing and the fed every time we bounce the fed's like great we can keep hiking <laughs> you know so that the bulls in a lot of ways have been digging their own grave all year um and it's it's sad and ironic but i mean you know and th is this something that i don't i don't think anyone really saw that particular dynamic coming but it's one of those ironies that kind of it kind of fits you know the punishment is kind of fitting the crime here you know, for years and years, you know, without doing due diligence, without really thinking it through, people just bought the dip and they bought a bunch of crap, you know, uh, companies without real earnings, story stocks that had no chance of really ever, you know, turning into anything. Uh, and they got away with it and made a ton of money. And, and now, you know, I mean, the market giveth and the market taketh away. And we are very much in the taking away phase here. So uh, it, that is just one thing I wanted to point out. So, I mean, you know, I, you know some, as someone who... I mean, I'm no perma bear. Um, I was bullish from, you know, the middle of 2020 throughout uh, the fall of last year. Um, but, you know, I've been bearish at times over the last 15 years. And for the most part, I've gotten my head ripped off. And, and I think I, I know that I'm far from alone in that. And I've got some PTSD from that. And as a result, I'm always there. While I, I'm, I'm, ex I'm expecting intervention. I'm expecting shenanigans at every step of the way. So, you know, watching them sitting here, you know, we're short the NASDAQ. We've been short. I think our average was 11,600 on the futures. We're trading just under 11.2 right now. I'm expecting a big bounce. And, and it's funny because I think a lot of bears are, are taking a similar approach. They're expecting to be screwed over at any moment. Um, and as a result, again, that's another thing that's contributing to a very orderly bear market. You know, it's not just dip buying. It's, it's short covering, too. Shorts are willing to ring the register, whereas in the past, I think they were more like, ah, oh, well, this, this thing's got a much, got a long way to fall. Let's let it ride. I think you, that's just another contributing factor to how orderly this bear market has been. Um, you know, the only really reliable indicator, those sort of, I should say the best indicator for short-term bottoms, local bottoms, has really been the put-call ratio. There's been a few times where, where the put-call ratio has just gotten way too high and, you know, you, you, you form a put wall underneath the market and the next thing you know, you're up, you know, 200 S&P points. So that's one of the things, forget sentiment. These sentiment indicators are next to useless in my opinion. Okay, because as I said, what people say and what they do, very different thing. And, and all year people have been saying they're bearish but not selling. Yes, there is a very large short position in the S&P futures market. It's mostly institutional, 
But when you look at the cash market, the short, short interest as a percentage of the float, look at SPY, QQQ, IWM, all these major ETFs and all the big stocks, nobody is short them. So this notion that everyone is short, everyone's super negative, it may be the case that everyone is bearish, but it's not playing out into actual positioning. Um, and, you know, I just keep coming back to the fact that until we get some kind of capitulatory selling, until we see that VIX spike above 40 or 50, until we see short interest on some of these big products really ramping up to you know, higher levels, it's very difficult to call a bottom. We're probably going to continue to chop up and down you know, with a downward slant. Now, for someone like my, you know, coming into this year, uh, you know, I, my price target of the S&P hasn't changed all year. I think my target's probably conservative now. Uh, I think we probably will see 33, maybe 3,200, maybe even 31. I don't think we're going to break 3,000. I really don't. Okay. And once we get below 3,400, you know, I'm probably more interested in slowly accumulating investments for the long term than I am with being short. But, you know, I wear two hats in my business. You know, for Blue Shirt Plus, I'm a trader. For Blue Shirt Advisors, my RIA, I'm an investor. As a trader, I'm willing to push a little bit. But I'm also, I, you know, I've learned to ring the register this year more than I have in the past, and it served me pretty well. Uh, but as an investor, we're getting, we're getting close to a point here. You know, we're trading right now 3680. So let's just say 3400 is, you know, we're 280 points away from my target which I do think that we will hit at some point, you know, unless CPI next week comes in super light, which I don't, I mean, it, I, I, I'm assuming we're going to see another, you know, we'll probably see a little bit more year over year deceleration, but my guess is we're probably not going to see a huge outlier in either direction. And if that's the case, the dominant trend in stocks should remain. And that's been down. Um, but, you know, 280 points from here, that's what that's, that's a considerable way down. I mean, that's basically close. It's not 20%, but it's, you know, 16, 17%. So it's a long way from here. That being said, for longer term investors, if you don't already have a list made up of the things you want to own for the next five to seven years, you need to do it now. Because this market could, the S&P could go from 3675 to 3400 in, in a day or two, okay? And, and this is a bad habit that a lot of investors, uh, this is very common for investors to be so focused on the bad in a bear market that they forget that look, bear markets end. Like, no, I don't, you know, yes, we have a huge sovereign debt bubble. We've got some banks like, like Credit Suisse that are looking like they might go belly up. There are some cockroaches crawling around out there. I'm not saying that we can't go to 3,000 and I'm not saying that we can't go below 3,000. I just don't think we will. I think the Fed will pivot before that becomes the case. You know, Mike Hartman of V of A has been talking about the G20 meeting in mid-November as a potential turning point for stocks. I, I love the way he's thinking about that. We're, at this point, like we're short, we've been making money all year. It's time to think about what we're gonna do uh, on, on, you know, on the long side. And, you know, the people who have been long all year and getting murdered, they're not thinking about that at all. They're sweating bullets every day saying, should I sell now or am I going to miss the bounce? You know, so um, and, and you're starting to see every time we bounce uh, institutional money coming in and dumping stock. OK, we have not yet seen the big outflows from the major equity funds that we usually see around a recession. 
Um, and we haven't seen any real passive outflows yet either. So there are some potential systemic fissures out there that could emerge, but I don't think that should be your working thesis. I think your working thesis should be 3,400. It's a good downside target. You know, it's something, it'll be something like, I think it's, I think it equates to roughly 12 and a P forward PE of 12. But again, that, that forward PE of 12 is on consensus Wall Street estimates, which are overly inflated. And that's what the market does. It marks, it re-rates these multiples because it doesn't believe the street's estimates anymore. So even though it's going to look like we're trading at 12 times, we're probably trading closer to 14, 15 times. That's usually how it plays out. So I think right now, you know, October, as I said in the last podcast, October has a mixed reputation. Usually October is a big up month for stocks, but it's also the month where stocks crash very frequently. Um, so we don't yet know what this October is going to look like. Obviously, we've had a pretty whippy market so far. Uh, we had that you know huge, two, basically a 6% surge in two days when bond yields fell. I did want to touch on that real quick too. So the guys I talk to that are bond traders have been telling me that um, somebody, some entity with practically unlimited resources was in there buying treasuries on Monday and Tuesday. Was it the Fed? Was it the BOJ? Who, who, I mean, was it the, was it the, who knows? People Bank of China? I don't know. I mean, this of course adds, you know, flavor to the conspiracy theory soup. Um, I, you know, may, is it, is it possible it was the New York Fed trading desk? Of course it is. These are the kinds of things that you have to be on the lookout for when you're bearish, because the authorities are never going to let things get completely out of control. And the Fed, as I've said many times, is focused on rate of change more than anything. The rate of change has been very high and I'm sure has made them uncomfortable. It hasn't changed their rhetoric at all. The rhetoric turned extremely hawkish at the Jackson Hole speech, was reinforced in the September FOMC meeting, and it remains hawkish. I know there are rumors out there that some Fed members are starting to get uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera. You got the UN calling on the Fed to stop hiking. I mean, there's pressure really rising. But, you know, the Fed is on the cusp of regaining a tremendous amount of credibility. I hope they don't blow it now. But that being said, remember, the Fed has two official mandates, full employment and price stability. Okay, obviously, full employment, you know, I said going into this year that the fact that the labor market was so strong was a, you know, that, that was a huge, the, the Fed's biggest asset because they could afford to focus on price stability. They, they had, you know, they had jobs to waste is a way to, the way that I'd put it. Hey, sorry if that sounds callous. Um, but there's a third unofficial Fed mandate, and that is the proper functioning of markets. We are probably not that far away from things like swap lines, some repo operations, Okay, something, something limited and targeted, but intervention nonetheless, money printing nonetheless. Uh, and you know, as I said, Mike Hartnett pointed to the G20 meeting in November as a possible denouement, as a possible pivot point for that. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll definitely be listening to that very closely. But for the time being, remember, there's no Fed meeting this month. The next Fed meeting is in November. For the time being, markets are pretty much on their own which is a horrible place for markets to be because, as I said, these have become, you know, Ponzi schemes for central banks printing money and no price discovery. And, you know, we have a whole bunch of people in here who are used to seeing the market trade at 21, 22 times forward earnings 
who were sitting here looking at 14, 15 saying, this is a generational buying opportunity. They've never been through a bear market before. They don't understand how bad it can get. And they are clearly ignoring the fact that I don't, I'm not sure there's been a bear market in history that's ended without some form of capitulation. And by capitulation, I mean high volatility, waterfall type price action, which we have not had yet. The NASDAQ being down 3% is not waterfall price action. Okay. Being down 7% is that's what I'm talking about right there. We haven't had that yet. We haven't had a limit down day. I think we need to have at least one before we can say, Hey, the bottom's probably in, but circling back, we're short. Our target is lower. We think it can be hit. We think maybe we can even go further than that. That's all well and good. Now take off the trading hat and put on the investor hat. This is not the time to probably, I mean, if you haven't been hedging your portfolio all year, I don't know why. Um, you know, is it too late to start? No, it's not. But be, be judicious about it. You don't go out and buy a bunch of puts on a day when the VIX is up 5 6%. Okay. You wait for a bounce, you wait for a drop in volatility. Most investors, unfortunately, retail investors don't understand how options work. They don't understand the implied volatility component, the time value component, and they end up overpaying. You know, they, they buy a bunch of puts when the market's falling apart and then the market stops. you know, remember volatility is more about pace than it is about direction. The market stops falling for a couple of days. And the next thing they know, they're hemorrhaging value in these puts and they don't understand why, you know, Institutions appear to be using futures to hedge portfolios. You know, you can use SPXU, you can use SQQQ. There's a lots of ways to do it. I don't think it's too late to put some hedges on. I wouldn't be overly aggressive about it. If you've done nothing all year, you're already down 25, 30, you know, 20, 30%. I mean, it, it's up to you, you know, but this is probably still a pretty good time to go out there. And, you know, for instance, with my retirement clients, we have, you know, we're sitting in 50% cash. And we have about a 30% hedge on using SQQQ, you know, so they're basically net long 20%. But that 20% is all in very defensive stuff and commodities, you know, so it's a function not only of whether or not to hedge, but also what are you invested in? If you're invested in tech, the NASDAQ's probably going below 10,000. Okay, so you need to rotate into more defensive stuff. You need to think about the fact that you can make four and a third percent for two years in interest right now, do you really want to own stocks in this environment where you can, I mean, it's been a long time since, since you could make that risk free. So these are the kinds of things you need to think about. But again, it's time to make that list. What are the things I want to own for the next three, five, seven years? Because I think we're going to get there fairly quickly, you know, and I, I'm surprised we're not lower already. I will admit that the, the orderliness of this bear market has been remarkable. And at the end of the day, bearish as I am, and as frustrating as it's been at times with my short positions, I'm actually very glad that it has been because people are going to get hurt a lot less. Okay. Orderly is good. Bears can make money. Bulls can make money. Okay. Um, but yeah, have that list drawn up. I mean, it's, you know, I am very bullish on commodities throughout the balance of the decade. Fiat currencies have just been trashed beyond recognition. Yes, the dollar has ripped, but it's ripped against a bunch of garbage. <laughs> DXY is 55% euro, 8% pound or something. It is not a true measure of the dollar strength. You want to own gold, silver, definitely want to own oil. I think you want to own agriculture and copper. There's a huge copper shortage coming. Be invested in, in commodity stocks. 
or you know use just straight commodity ETFs like you know DBA DBD. Um, you know I think it, it, it is not a bad time to go out looking at dividend stocks. Stay defensive for now. High quality. I, you know um, there have been some calls recently for growth to begin outperforming, and I understand the logic. The logic is sound because it's when the economy itself isn't generating growth, you need to look to companies that have growth baked in. Typically, growth companies can outperform in an environment like this. The problem is, is that they were all marked up way too much based on very low bond yields. I don't think they've priced in this huge change in interest rates yet. I would continue to avoid uh, growth. I would stick with value. I would stick with defensive, uh, that kind of a thing. All right, we'll leave it at that for today. We'll talk to you again next week.